Our church's mission statement is sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. First couple of months of this year, we focused on the word send, talking about sending. What does all does that mean? What does it mean to be live sent? But in there, it says sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. So the question is, is what does that mean when you say transformed? And we defined it as transformation is the outward reality of an inner work. And so as we began to get into this, just a reminder as to where we've been. First of all, all of us need to realize that all of us deal with imperfections. All of us have sinned, and that has caused us to be separated from God. And it caused us to have this broken relationship with God. And this brokenness has resulted in, uh, in, in pain and, and the bondage of, of sin. And we are there, and, and we're, we're hurting with no hope. Uh, we're people who are experiencing pain, but with no purpose. And so then God, in his great love and mercy, wanted to take care of that, and he wanted you and me to come back into a relationship with him. And because of our sin that separates us from him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come on this earth, to teach us about who God was, to show us the love that God has, and at the same time came to die for our sins, those same sins that were separating us from God. He died for our sins, paid the penalty, and then he was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, and he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended to heaven, and in the midst of all of that, what that meant is that he had conquered sin, conquered death, and gave us the opportunity to have everlasting life if we receive that gift. And so whenever that happens, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. The new has come. And that means that you become a new person, a new identity. There's this new power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And so when you make that decision to receive Christ, you become this new creation. But it doesn't stop there. What God's desire is that we be transformed and we grow in this walk with Christ. And so that's where we began to talk about transformation. We looked at Romans chapter 12 and 12, 1 and 2. It says that, that you are to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So if you could think of an altar and it says you're just climbing up on the altar and you say, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. That means do with me whatever it is that you want to do. I am yours. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world. That means squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's where we went to transformation. And we said, what is transformation? Well, we took that, that Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we began to define what it means. And this is what we came up with. And I'm just going to run through this really quick. Number one, it's an inside job with outward changes. It's an inside job with outward changes. That word in the Bible, transform, is translated in English, metamorphosis. And in metamorphosis, we think about that when this uh, little grub worm crimes into a cocoon, then all of a sudden there's a metamorphosis that takes place and he becomes a butterfly. And at the end of the day, metamorphosis is not that some, some caterpillar is a nicer looking caterpillar or a faster running caterpillar. There's a complete change. There's a complete structural change. It's a whole new creation. It's this butterfly over here. And it's an inside job that had outward changes. But it's also something that's orchestrated by God. God's the one that does the transformation. And it is a continuous process, and it is slow, and it is strenuous. It is a process of transformation. 
There is no microwave transformation. There's no 30 minutes in and out, 30 days I'm transformed. It's a continuous process of transformation. But in the midst of all of these good things, I'm telling you, it's limited by your willingness. Because you see, for transformation, God doesn't force transformation on you. You have to be willing to be transformed. And so it's limited by your willingness, however, once you accept that journey and you begin to go on transformation, it will increase your usefulness in God's kingdom. Because what it is is you're becoming the person that God wants you to be. You're becoming more like Christ. And that is what transformation is. And we use the illustration of woodworking. And we took and showed a picture of a dead tree. And then when that tree was dead with all of its imperfections, then you could take a master craftsman and they could cut that tree and began to make cuts and shapes. And all of a sudden, put a piece of wood on a lathe and began to smooth out the rough edges and then began to sand it and smooth it. And all of a sudden, from what you had was a dead tree, you've got a table leg that can then be used and put to a table. And all of a sudden, there's an incredible amount of usefulness that went from a dead tree to a completed table leg. It's transformation. It's completely changed. And you see what had happened? There was an inward work and there's an outward reality to it. But that is what it is. So then last week I began to ask the question, well, why do you want? Why do you want to be transformed? And we used the story of Jesus a miracle story in Luke chapter 5, and he was out there with the, the disciples. They'd been fishing all day, all night, caught nothing. They got in the boat. Jesus finished preaching, took them out, said, cast your nets. And they said, we've not caught anything, but we will respond to your commands and do what you've asked us to do. They throw the net in there. They get so many fish in the net that they had to bring a second boat out there. And when all the fish were there and being put into the boat, Peter looked at Jesus, and at that point, he says, I, he recognized his sinfulness. And he says, I am a, dissenter, a sinner, I need to depart from you. And once he recognized his sinfulness, then all of a sudden Jesus shared what we call the grander vision. And he says, guys, as much fun as it is to be catching the fish like we've been catching, I've got a grander vision for you. And that is no longer will you catch perch, but you're going to catch men. And you're going to do things that will have a significance for eternity and that will go and advance the kingdom of God. And so once he did that, then these men made the choice to rearrange their lives. And when they came back on shore, they left the nets, they left uh, all the fish, and they said they followed him. They rearranged their lives to go on this grander vision. And what was taking place is that if you want to go on that grander vision, then this transformation has to take place. And so when I make that decision for Christ, I then want to be transformed because I want to be a part of that grander vision, the thing that God has for me. And so we use the illustration of coffee. And we took you through the process of when you get a coffee tree and then after about nine months, there's a little blossom and then there's this cherry. And you take the cherry, you harvest the cherry. And when you open that cherry up, you begin to peel the layers out. And there's about two or three different layers and you find a coffee bean. And that coffee bean that you find is a green bean, okay? And so you got this green coffee bean over here. And if you took this green coffee bean and you tried to brew it, the aroma would probably be not much of an aroma and the taste would be a very astringent, bitter taste that no one would really want to be a part of. However, if you took that and you took that green bean and you put it through a transformation process of what we call roasting, whenever you roast a coffee bean, it changes the internal structure, cellular structure of that particular bean. 
and you begin to lose some of the acidity and the starches are turned to sugar. And before you know it, that bean has not only changed its color on the outside, but when you begin to brew it, it has an aromatic flavor. And then when you do brew it, there's a smell and aroma that begins to go and it fills the room and it penetrates the senses and it drives people crazy like they did last Sunday when we brewed coffee <laughs> over here in the worship service. And what it did was there's this penetrating aroma that went out. And you see, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, there needs to be a transformation in your life. And if you're going to be the fisher of men, if you're going to, to do something for God's kingdom, there needs to be this aroma of Christ that just exudes from you. Because there's the transformed life. And so with all of this, this leads us up to what is it? Why would I want to do it? And then today, you've got in your worship guide that we were going to look at a story found in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 38, uh, about a man who was, who was blind and then was made to see. It's an incredible story. And you need to read it because I'm not going to talk about it today. Okay? And uh, I know you're sitting there going, are you serious? Yeah. I even said it on the video I was going to talk about it today. It's your homework assignment. All right, John chapter 9, it's a great story. Don't read it now, but when you get home, read the story. It's an amazing story. But the reason that I'm not preaching that was I learned more and more about this pottery process, and I began to see where we were going. And, you know, I said, you know, we've got the what, and we, we've got the why. Well, what about the How? How, do you, how does this transformation work? What are some of the particulars of that? And uh, I was drawn to James chapter 1. So if you look in your Bibles to the book of James, it comes after Hebrews. It's near the back of your Bible. And near the back of the Bible, uh, it's, a, it's a short book, but it's James chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about transformation through trials. Transformation through trials. Because one of the ways that we are transformed is by trials. Now, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I believe we'll have it up on the screen. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Here we go. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right. Those three verses, we're going to start with those and I'm going to set you a foundation. Are you ready? Number one is this, the reality of trials. Everyone will experience trials in their life. The reality of trials, everyone will experience trials in their life. The second part of verse two, you said, well, Danny, you're skipping count it all joy. I'm coming back to that. Are you ready? Two, when you meet trials of various kind, trials, those are outward trials. Those are problems. Those are setbacks. There are things that come into your life and into my life that test our faith. And he says in this passage, he says, when, he didn't say if, when you meet trials of various kinds, that is an assurance that trials will come into your life. You've heard it said before, you're in one of three positions right now. Number one, either you're in the midst of a trial or you're getting ready, you just came out of a trial or you're getting ready to get into a trial. They're going to come your way. They're going to happen. And he says in this passage that when you meet these trials, now you meet, that word meet is a word that means encounter. It means to be surrounded by. It means to fall among. And in fact, it even means to be ambushed. 
Most of you know the story of the Good Samaritan. Guy was, it's a story about a guy was traveling from here to there, and all of a sudden he said, he fell among robbers. That's the exact same word that's used here. Fell among robbers. They were unwelcomed, they were unexpected, and they just fell among him. That's what happens with trials. They're not things that you're looking for. Oftentimes they ambush you, they take you by surprise, but they do come. And it says here that they are various kinds. So there's various kinds. They're multifaceted. It covers the whole gamut. It could be personal health issues. It could be family health issues. It could be financial failures. It could be problems in personal relationships. It could be a marriage that's falling apart. It could be children who are rebelling. It could be disappointments. It could be persecution. It could be unexpected crises. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is, outward trials, they will come. Everybody's going to experience it. I don't care how spiritual you are or non-spiritual you are, you will have trials. So everybody's going to experience trials. So then you say, well, how am I supposed to respond to those trials? Verse two, at the very beginning, it says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. That word all joy means nothing but joy. So when a trial comes, count it all joy. You're looking at me and you're saying, that's just not natural. (laughs) And you're exactly right. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It says, count it all joy when these trials come. You know what that means? You can't invite yourself to your own pity party. That means there's no woe is me and all of that stuff. You say, well, does that mean I'm, I'm supposed to be thrilled with these, with these trials? No, no, no. Listen to me clearly. You're not to be happy about a trial. I mean, you're not going to enjoy whatever that pain is that's coming to you. But what God's word is saying is that your response to that trial needs, you need to count it all joy. And there's a reason you need to count it all joy, and it is because of the God that you serve. Because, see, trials are not joyful in themselves, but they serve as an occasion of joy because they are designed to bring out God's best and consequently your best as well. When a trial comes, this is your time to experience God's faithfulness. This is the time when the presence of Christ will come and reassure you and give you peace. Count it all joy because you serve a God that can be trusted. You count it all joy because in the midst of this trial, God is going to do something that honors his name And in the midst of that trial, he is also going to give you some reassurance. No matter how difficult it is, when we look at it, somewhere in there, God's going to be able to honor his name in the midst of that trial. See, in trials, God specializes in showing up and showing out in trials. And when they come into our lives, the writer of James says, you got to count it all joy. Now, he's writing to to believers who are no longer living in Jerusalem, but they've been dispersed all over the Roman Empire, and they're experiencing all kind of persecution. I mean, persecution is even worse than you sending out a tweet and not getting a like back. Uh, I I mean, this is persecution, not like that somebody says something bad on Facebook, and you said, oh my gosh, and uh, he's talking about people whose lives are in danger. People who are getting shunned in their communities that they live in because they are believers. And he's telling them to count it all joy. You're in the midst of this. I'm telling you, you count it all joy. The reason you count it all joy is because of the God that you serve. And we're, we're going to wrap our arms around that a little bit later in the message. Number three is this. The reason for your trials. So what are the reason for these trials? It is strengthening your faith and developing your character. 
strengthening your faith and developing your character. Now look at verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith, testing of your faith, this is the process by which your faith is purified, refined, and matured. It means to bring out the genuine element of your faith. That as you go through the process, the testing of your faith, there's going to be this genuine element of your faith that comes out. And I love this because it says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, some of your translations have perseverance. Some of your translations may have endurance. But the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word literally means capacity to stand under a load. Capacity to stand under a load. It's a picture of a soldier with a big backpack. And he's under the load of that backpack. And he's been able to handle that. And it's the capacity to stand under a load. And he says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It is a staying power because of your trust in God. A tested faith builds your faith capacity for the long run. It builds your faith capacity for the long run. Now I'm looking over here at young people and college students and others, and man, you're just early on in your journey in life. And, uh, and you've got some struggles, and you know that. And you said, Danny, my backpack's pretty heavy right now. I've got all kind of stuff that I'm, I'm dealing with over here. But you know, what God wants to do is he wants to build that faith capacity for you because you got a lot more in life. I mean, once school is over and then you begin to take those next steps, and then if you decide uh, to be married, then you've got marriage, you've got kids, you've got all these other things, you've got your career, uh, all these things that are, that are ahead of you. And with all of that ahead of you, you want to be ready for the long run. And for all of us, we want to have that capacity to make it for the long run. And he says, this is what the testing is for. And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. I love that. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Why do I need perseverance? Man, let it have its full effect. You know what it says it is? It says it's this. He says that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect does not mean that you'll never sin again. Perfect means that you're mature, so that you'll be mature in your faith, and that you'll be complete, there's wholeness, and that you will be lacking in nothing. That means that people who endure in these trials that, that come into their life, that God will be able to develop every trait that you need for spiritual victory. God will give you every trait you need for spiritual victory. This is what's called transformation. As I am being transformed, it means that I will be able to have a character that is developed in such a way that I am ready to handle whatever it is that comes into my heart, whatever comes into my life. Whatever these outward trials are that come into your life, he says, I'm giving you this so that you can have spiritual victory. You will trust me more. God will be honored. And then it produces a steadfastness. All of this is going to happen. But you gotta go through the testing. You've gotta go through the testing. Now, the pottery process. 
what we watched over here, saw it on the video, and you also saw uh, Brian over here, is that what starts out is you, you take a hunk of clay, and then you begin to what's called wedging the clay, right? And then wedging the clay, it is what, what we call kneading, okay? And you're trying to get all the air pockets out of it and to get that clay just right. And then once you get the clay, then you throw it on the wheel, and then once you throw it on the wheel, you start turning the wheel, and you're putting water on there and everything, and then that's when the expert begins to shape it, move it, pinch it with its fingers, try to get the, uh, uh, the particular object to look just, just like they want it. And then what happens is, is that when you, when you take it off the wheel, then you have an opportunity to be able to, to add some things to it. Like you can put a handle uh, on there and, and you, you get it just like you, just like you like it uh, over here. And, and so once you've done that, you've got it ready and then you can put a glaze on there. And what you hope to have happen is that when it gets heated, that that glaze will fuse in with that clay and make this strong. But this is it before the firing process. And this is what it looks like before the firing process. And the thing about it, uh oh. Brian told me I could do this. I just want to let y'all know. Don't get upset. Is that before the firing process, it's brittle. And it doesn't take much for it to break. And see, this is us before transformation. You can be a believer. You can look like a cup. You got this mug down. But your faith is brittle. And when the outward trials come in, guess what happens? You kind of break apart. And that's when you see people, they crash and burn. And they, and they don't move any further in their, in their Christian walk. Here Jesus is throwing out this grander vision. Be a fisher of men. And you're saying, well, I'm, I'm kind of a broken pot over here. And my faith has not gotten any, any stronger. But you see, the cool thing is, is that if you will... Put that same pot and put it in a kiln. And as the temperature comes up and that temperature heats that, what it does is it gives it its permanent structure and shape. And it gives it strength. This is what would be like a transformed life. And guess what? It's got purpose and usefulness. I can put a beverage in here and drink this and I'm okay. And I don't have to worry about this handle just breaking just because... I'm handling it just like this. It's got its permanent structure. See, that's why he says the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. It produces perseverance. It produces the permanent shape for you, a strength of your faith. And that is what transformation is all about. And what God has to do is he's got to work in you before he can work through you. And a part of that working in you is sometimes we've got to go through the fire of trials. And it causes us to lean on him and listen to him as he speaks into our life. Now, if you've got that, you understand that. We okay with that? Does this make sense? All right. Count it all joy. When you go through the testing and the trials, because it produces steadfastness, steadfastness produces maturity. And in that maturity, that's part of the transformation process. But let me give you three resources for how do you even go through this transformation process. And that's the last fourth point. These are the resources to face your trials. Look at verses five through eight. 
There are three of these, and you need to write these down because these will be huge. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, we've just gone through all of this buildup about how to uh, get this stronger faith and, and the testing of your faith, and then he just runs right into, hey, if anybody lacks wisdom. My understanding is if he brings wisdom up, it means, hey, you need to have wisdom to be able to go through these trials and to see what God's plan is and how he merges into all of this. And so here's the definition for wisdom. Wisdom is spiritual insight given by God that enables a believer to meet life and its trials with decisions and actions consistent with God's will. We're going to leave that up there for at least one minute or maybe even longer so you don't have to give me a tear off and say, hey, you uh, don't leave it up there long enough. <laughs> Sometimes we don't. I understand that. But this one's going to be up there until the end of the message. All right, no, this will be up there for a long time because I want you to write it down because every word means something. Wisdom is, it's spiritual insight given by God. So this is given by God. And he gives this to us, what? To enable the believer, enables you and me, to meet life and its trials. Everybody's going to have trials with decisions and actions that are consistent with God's will. With decisions and actions that are consistent with God's will. You see, as a Christian, with wisdom, you'll be able to understand how your trials merge into God's plan for your life. Wisdom cuts through the confusion and replaces it with clarity. It protects you from making the wrong decisions that will haunt you for a lifetime. Now, understand this. When you go through some trials, you're going to have to respond or react to that particular trial. It's going to be there. And when it comes into your life, how you respond or how you react will oftentimes determine what kind of faith capacity you've got. And the only way you know how to respond or to react is you need to get the wisdom from God to where you pray and say, God, I'm looking for your wisdom in this. I'm looking for your discernment. I'm looking for your power, your reassurance. I need to get some kind of help from you because I've got to make a decision. Because usually when a trial comes up, there's going to be a decision point placed in your lap and you've got to make a call on it. And I don't want to make the wrong decision that will haunt me for the rest of my lifetime. I want to make the right decision. And so, Lord, I need your wisdom in there. And God desires that we ask him for wisdom. It says right here, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. He wants you to ask for wisdom. And he says he'll give it to all. So you can't just sit there and say, golly, I wish I'd gone to Sunday school more because I know he would probably hear my, hear my prayer more. I wish I was a pastor because then he would give me wisdom. No, it says he gives it to all. doesn't matter what your station in life is. You pray to him and say, God, I need wisdom over here. And he says he gives generously. If you just remember this verse to know that when you ask for wisdom, God gives generously, it reminds you that God loves you, he cares for you, and he's concerned about your daily life and what happens in your daily life. And he says, I'll give you the wisdom. So wisdom, we all need wisdom when trials come in our lives to say, God, what is it exactly that I am supposed to do in this situation? Number two is faith. You say, well, there's a testing uh, of my faith. So, well, you got to have faith or it can get tested. But let me tell you what I mean by faith. He says you need to ask in faith. That means to trust in the character of God. That when you pray and you say, God, I want wisdom, I trust in your character. That you will give me the wisdom I need to know how I'm to navigate these next steps in my life.
And this is opposed to the one who doubts. In verse six, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. And he says, there are some people whose life, uh, their feelings towards God are just like the being moved like the waves and the winds. And you're constantly questioning, you're doubting God, you're filled with fears and frustrations. And then you're asking God, but you don't really think he's going to answer. And he said, you can't be like that. He says, you got to ask him wisdom. And he says, you got to ask him faith. That means you trust the character of God. And don't be like the one that's, that's gone to and fro. But then number three is single-mindedness. There's faith, excuse me, there's wisdom, there's faith, and there's single-mindedness. He says in verse eight, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the one that when the winds blow and you're here and you're there, he says is like a double-minded man. Literally, that word means a double-souled man, soul man. I will not break into song. All right, soul, your soul. Your soul is the seat of your desires. It's your desires. And so the person who's like a double-souled man is a person who's in conflict. They've got one soul that's looking over here to Christ, and they've got one soul over here that's looking towards culture. They've got one soul over here that's looking to the things of God, and then it's like another part of my soul is over here looking to the ways of the world. And there is a civil war that's going inside of me between trusting God, distrusting God, trusting God, distrusting God. And there's this constant back and forth. In fact, um, in uh, Pilgrim's Progress uh, with John Bunyan, he had a character in it called Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. I'm looking both ways. Looking toward God, looking to the world. Looking towards the things of Christ, looking towards culture. And you're in this constant back and forth. What the writer, what James is saying is, you need to have wisdom, you need to ask for wisdom, you need to ask in faith, and you need to be single-minded. And you need to be focused specifically on God and don't be a double-minded man in his ways. And I'm going to put all of that together in just one moment. Let me cover the last thing, and that is the result of the trials is found in verse eight, that God will grant you a deeper, fuller, transformed life on earth. He will grant you a deeper, fuller, transformed life on earth and I forgot to add to it, a joyous, a joyous existence in eternity. Because in verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Okay? The purpose of the trial is for a man to be steadfast. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You read different things, and I can see it going both ways. The Bible does talk about that there are rewards at the end of life and different crowns, a crown of righteousness, et cetera, and a crown of life could be something given to us as we uh, step into eternity. But it's also, some have said, it's like a badge of approval of God and to where he's saying, this is a deeper, fuller, transformed life that you will live. So when you go through that trial and you come out on the other end of that and you're stronger, you're moving towards transformation, he says, then you've got this badge of approval from God. So let me take this whole process, and this is how I want to wrap this up. 
and I hope you stay with me. I'm a very logical thinker, and I've tried to take all this and logically put it together. Ready? We're talking about the testing of your faith. In order for the testing of your faith in trials to produce steadfastness, which then leads to spiritual maturity and a deeper, fuller, transformed life, you must use the resource of wisdom, okay? Verse five says, right after we talked all about the testing, it says you need wisdom, all right? In order to get wisdom, you need to ask God in faith. And in order to pray in faith without doubting, you need not to be the double-minded person, but you need to be a single-minded person. And that's where the process begins. And the process for all of this and for transformation starts with you and me have to deal with the double-minded man. With the one who's still trying to have a foot towards God and a foot towards the world, a soul that says they want to do the things of God but yet are drawn so much to the things of the world. And what every one of us needs to do is you need to start to evaluate your faith, your belief, your trust in God. You need to grapple with who God is and what claim does he have on your life. Can you trust him? Is this whole God and Jesus thing real or is it just some emotional crutch? Have you been double-souled, are you unstable? This is where you and God have to get down to business. This is where you drive down the stake in the ground, you profess your faith, your allegiance, I surrender all commitment to God. That's where it starts. Transformation is limited by your willingness. And so if you truly want to take this next step and say, I want transformation, it means you've got to come to that point to where you drive the stake in where it says, I surrender all. You move from being a double-minded person who's tossed by the waves of culture, peer pressure, lust, greed, selfish ambition, to a person of faith who is single-focused, single-souled, not doubting, and this is the first step to handling the trials of life. And so when I do that, I'm single-minded. I'm not double-souled. When that happens, all of a sudden, I'm getting ambushed by trials. Here's the unexpected, the unwelcome trials of life. They ambush you, and they surround you. And your first response is, verse 2, count it all joy. And why are you counting it all joy? Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, and you've got a faith that is real and that is robust. And in the midst of that, you will then turn and you will ask God. You say confidently, ask God, I need wisdom I need wisdom for how I'm supposed to decide and handle this situation. And I also need wisdom just to better understand who you are and where you are in all of this process. But when I'm doing that, I'm believing that you will generously provide the needed insights that will allow me to make the right decisions and the correct actions that are consistent with your will. And as painful as it is as I go through this, I want to do what is in your will. I don't want to make any decision that will haunt me for the rest of my life. I want to do something that is in your will and consistent with your will. And then you will go through this trial armed with the wisdom of God. And then this testing of your faith will produce steadfastness, endurance, and will increase your faith capacity for the long run. Because you just went through something at the age of 32 that was an incredible trial. And because of that, you pass through that and steadfastness, a great capacity. And now you've got this great capacity because when you're 38, boom, you got something else that's going to ambush you. But you know what? I'm, I'm better prepared for it. I'm better prepared for it. 
And then when I'm 45, something's going to hit me. And then I'm in my 50s and I'm in my 60s. I'm going to be in my 70s. And I'm going to continue to be ambushed by these trials. But if I follow this pathway, then I've got a greater capacity to me to be able to carry that load. And not only is it good for me, but it's good for others because they will watch and say, how in the world did you navigate through that and maintain such an attitude towards God? You then have an an opportunity to tell them that is it. But what happens is this will lead to your development, the development of your Christian character and to a greater spiritual maturity that will result in God giving a badge of his approval and you having a deeper, richer, fuller life that is called transformation. That's where it is. It all starts driving down that stake and saying, I'm going to be single-minded doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. doesn't mean that there are going to be sometimes you drift one way or drift another. But it's you're laying the stake down and you say, I don't want to be a double-minded man, woman, or young person. I want to be single-focused on you. I want to be single-minded on you, Lord. And once you get to that point and the trial comes, you can boldly go to God and say, God, i got to have wisdom for this. And when you ask him for that wisdom, and then God's spirit comes and it gives us peace and reassurance and walks you through this testing of, of your faith as you go through this trial, then all of a sudden there's that steadfastness, that perseverance, that endurance. And when that happens, then all of a sudden there's some shaping of your character and you're a different person. So you're a different person because you've gone through that. You see, too many of us, too many of us are just relegated to this. When God says, I want you to be like this. I want you to be willing to go through the fire, and this is what you want to come out at the end. I think one of the more powerful stories I remember is uh, what Rick Burgess told me about Rich Wingo, about his friend. And we had Rich Wingo come, and he spoke at our men's uh, man church, spoke at man church. And um, he told Rick there was a season in his life when he says, I am going through some difficulties in my career, and I've just got personal challenges. And Rick's response was similar to what every one of us would have done. And that is, uh, brother, I'm going to pray for you and pray that, that, that you get out of those times, you know, and, and that you're going to get through those times. And Rich Wingo's response to Rick was this, no. He says, my prayer is this, I want you to pray this, keep me in this fire until I'm fully refined. Do not bring me out until I'm the man of Christ that you want me to be. That's a guy in the midst of the trials, and he said, hey, don't take me out of the fire too early. I want to be refined, and when I come through this process, I want to be the man of Christ that you want me to be. You know what that is? It's the testing of your faith that will produce steadfastness, and steadfastness will have its full effect. Transformation. Lord, I want to be a fired piece of pottery. I want to be one that's permanently shaped, useful for you, and being transformed. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Only you know where you are right now in this message. Some of you may have never made the decision to receive Christ as Savior, and it's my hope and prayer that this day, that you can say, I need to make that call. I need to ask him to be the Lord in my life, pay the penalty for my sins. 
And I would invite you to do that today. And you can do that simply by praying and saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know Jesus has died for my sins and I want him to come into my heart. And he will answer that prayer. And there are many in here who've already made that decision. But if you had to look up and figure out where am I in life, am I the brittle piece of pottery whose faith is very fragile or am I that fired piece of pottery that um, I feel strong? Many would probably say I'm the bitter one, I'm the brittle one. And, uh, and your prayer today would be, God, I know the trials will come. And when they do, I want you to do that work in me. I want your wisdom. I want that single-mindedness. I want to have that faith in you. And I want you to shape me, use me, because I want to be a part of that grander vision that you have for me. So, Father, you know the hearts of our people today. As we've come, we've sung, we've had an opportunity to hear your word, may you intersect our lives and speak into our hearts and to help us to take the next step decision that you so desire. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.